You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good morning, Bobo. How are you doing today? Good, Cliff. How are you? I'm doing all right. A little tired, you know, um, but uh, and I got to wake up early tomorrow. You know, by the time this airs, the t- the um, Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival will be over, but that's what I'm heading to tomorrow. But other than that, man, just working the shop and goofing around and enjoying Portland, Oregon, or at least uh, the Cascades around Portland as best I can. What about you? Anything going on? Anything special? Um, started a new film project. It's something I've been talking about for a while, but um, I can't really go into any details at all because it's a very sensitive issue. Like, probably couldn't get much worse for having to get permitted and that sort of stuff. So I'm starting to jump through all the hoops and the people that I've talked to that do this kind of stuff said, I picked about the most daunting task I can pick for someone that hates paperwork and never does that kind of stuff. Like they said, you just did the biggest jump and hoops thing. I'm going to be like a tiger at a Siegfried and Roy show jumping through hoops of fire. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty par for the course with you. It's like choose the impossible and see what happens, right? Yeah, I got to start making better life choices, Cliff. We've discussed that in the past. I suppose. But, you know, I mean, Bob's, we're both in our 50s. Like, how much life do we have left? I say go for it, you know? Oh, I'm, I'm, I am going for it. I'm like, you know what? I can do it. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, Sasquatch likes me. They do like you, Bob's. You're very, very fortunate. All right. Well, uh, do you want to just jump into the topic of the day? Yeah. What do you got lined up? Oh, you are going to be stoked. So, so check this out. Basically, uh, we have a witness on board today, um, and uh, the, the, he saw a Sasquatch uh, in Skamania County on April 14th, if I remember correctly. Um, the way it came to us, it was at the North American Bigfoot Center, of course, and uh, um, this gentleman's father um, is a witness of a Sasquatch, you know, back in the day, we can ask this guy about this. Um, but we got a call from the witness's father saying, Hey, my kid saw a Sasquatch like yesterday, basically. Um, and we're going, Oh my gosh, really? And then, uh, and, and Connor neglected to get the contact information. So I'm like, Oh man, you know, but, but we knew the guy it didn't have his phone number or anything like that. But we, and he said that I'm going to see if I can get my son to come into the shop, but he's a little pretty shaken up. And then, you know, a week and a half goes by, and then the guy comes in with the son. And that's when I met Jeremy, who is our guest today. And this is one of the best sighting reports, and also the most recent sighting report I have from the local area. This is April 14th, 2021. Um, so this is one of the best, clearest, and closest, and most horrifying sighting reports that I've gotten in a long, long time. So I thought he'd be a fantastic guest. And of course, since then, Connor and I have gone out and done an on-site investigation, which yielded some very cool results as well. And I guess we'll get into that as the story progresses. You know, I love horrifying stories. <laughs> I know, I know you are, but when I, I when when this happened, I was like, we got to get him, this guy on the radio, man. So anyway, um, Bobo, meet Jeremy, a great witness. Jeremy, meet Bobo, and welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, guys, what's going on? Just podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. So uh, you you just heard the introduction there. Um, did I get everything right? The date is okay. Uh, date is right, and all that other stuff. Yeah, you got everything right with that. It, it's. Uh, yeah, it's been very interesting since the date, but yeah, you got the date right, and it was. I've gotten better at being able to talk about it now. 
Yeah, yeah. You were a little shaken up when you came in the store, um, I will say, because you were telling us the story and you, you were covered with goosebumps. And that's not something that is hoaxable. You can't fake that stuff. And um, yeah, when I brought you in the back room to take a look at Murphy, our life-size, very realistic Sasquatch, you know, and I, I remember I was looking at Murphy and saying, yeah, so Jeremy, tell me what's the same and what's the... And I look back at you and your eyes were welling up. I mean, you, you literally came to tears. I mean, they weren't streaming down your face and you weren't bawling, but I mean, you're a six foot three former security guard and your eyes were welling up in front of other customers and everything. The emotion was clear and, and you're the kind of witness. I talked to, to Connor about this later. It's like, how could any skeptic look at this guy and say that he's lying? It's just ridiculous. You're uh, I, I didn't know the name of it, but Murphy, I... I remember you telling me when you come back here, don't scream. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I'm just going to say, that's one of the things when you get told something like that, your, your, your reaction, you're kind of like, what, what, what are you? <laughs> and then when I walked back there, I, it, it was basically uh, like PTSD. Yeah, it's PTSD. Yeah, you're not alone in that. A lot of witnesses have that or walk away with that. And of course, when you came around the corner and looked at Murphy there, you were about the same distance away from Murphy as you were from the real Sasquatch you saw just a week and a half before. Yeah, which was very jarring, to say the least, uh, to, to walk around and have that happen. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Now, before we get into the sighting, Jeremy, um, before this happened, um, was Bigfoot on your radar at all? Like, Did you think these things were real or like, what was Bigfoot to you? If we really got into a Bigfoot, to me, was it's something my dad, uh, my dad, I knew about experiences that my dad had had, those sightings and whatnot. And, you know, growing up around that, you're like, okay, well, I believe in it because you, you want to believe in, you, you know, you, you're around it, you kind of want to believe in it. But that was, aside from that, it was more of something like, oh, it's a horror monster. I'm going to watch it on TV, you know, and movies and stuff like that. It wasn't something that I was... It was something that I never thought that I would be involved in. Yeah. Now, now before uh, now, tell us about your dad's sighting because that's how I met your your dad at first. He came into the shop and he shared his account, and we we documented it and wrote it down and everything. So, um, tell us about your dad's sightings, just so we know the context of Bigfoot in your life as you were growing up. I suppose my dad's first sighting, or, or not sighting, but my dad's first experience with it. Um, he was in his. Uh, late teens, early twenties, if, if I remember the timing correctly. And he was, uh, my grandfather drove him up. Uh, I forget which mountain range it was, but drove him up and dropped him off to go hiking. I forget how far back, but he's, he's backpacking up with like the old school snowshoes on. And these are the ones with the, you know, the raw hide and everything. And he's got his, uh, he's got a Brittany Spaniel, uh, hiking partner. That was his, uh, his dog. And her name was Freckles. He was up up in the mountain. He finds this enormous handprint in a snowbank, and the hand, if you look at it, it looks it's just huge. And uh, he had a Polaroid uh, camera with him. He took a, a photo of it. Well, at the same time that he found this handprint, his dog, who was just a really really friendly dog, started snarling and was ready to basically attack whatever it was that was in the area. And he said he felt his blood run cold and everything in his, in his body was telling him he needs to get off the mountain now. Being little and hearing that kind of story, because I, I grew up seeing the picture and stuff, because I'd always talk to him. I always loved hearing my dad's hunting stories and things like that. That was, you know, something that you, 
it, it just it kind of it does form a belief system with you when you're when you're young, and so you want to you want to believe in stuff that your your parents believe in or whatnot. Yeah, and just as a side note, um, your father was kind enough to donate the Polaroid camera as well as the original Polaroids to the North American Bigfoot Center. So uh, you can actually see this handprint on display in the North American Bigfoot Center. With that, a number of years go by. I think I was I, I was in the picture then. It was I was probably I don't know. I was I was pretty pretty young. But I remember my dad coming back from a hunting trip and talking about an actual sighting that he had had. And he had thought at first in the distance, he had thought that it was, you know, my uncle screwing with him, but he watched this image from a distance walking very oddly. But then he realized this thing was a much bigger than my uncle and had a much larger stride. And when it had walked out of his line of sight, a deer just got up and walked right along behind it and everything. He was that's not going to happen when you're, if you're a hunter and stuff like that. And I remember him talking about that and talking about its movement and everything. I think it was down in a clear cut from a good distance too. Am I remember that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. So they're watching it from a ridge side of a, in a large valley. So they had some, you know, they had some time to look at this thing, I guess, as it was poking around. So, well, yeah. So you, you grew up in a Bigfooty sort of household, which is kind of cool. An advantage, I think, over a lot of other people um, who are who are brought up to think that these things are not real. But uh, you kind of started off that way, started on the right foot, you know. But yeah, but then uh, fast forward until you know this past April and set us up for that. And I guess a, a good thing to start out with is that you are new to the area. Um, you just moved out here maybe about a month and a half or two months ago. So welcome to Washington, by the way. Yeah, an eight-foot uh, hairy welcome committee came and, and got gotcha. you. Um, but yeah, so you're new to the area. I think you're staying with your brother. Um, and you're, aren't you staying in the RV in the backyard until uh, you... Until you get a rental available. And yeah. it's, it's like, I'm, I'm new to this area. I'm, one of the last things you want to do when you're new to an area is be the guy who who talks about something that's... It's a small town. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to identify the town because uh, there's things going on. And uh, But basically, it's in Skamania County, um, Washington, which is, of course, famous worldwide for having a law on the books about killing a Sasquatch, you know, against killing a Sasquatch. Um, so, yeah, you live in rural Skamania County. Um, you work at a local business and you get off work late at night around, what, 12 or 1230? Yeah. Typically, by the time I'm out of there, we're looking at about like like about the, around that time. Okay, well, then let's start from there, I guess, because, yeah, start from there so we know what we can say and what we can't say. Well, I usually, when I get off work, uh, we have a couple, I have a couple of coworkers, and that a lot of times they'll ask for a ride home, and everything's pretty close in that area, and I'm just, I'm, you know, trying to be nice, so I give this one guy a ride home on a pretty regular basis, and I go take him home, and then I found on my route home, I found this one area where, uh, I see deer all the time and I got to the point where it's like, wow, these deer are not afraid of anybody and they're just really cool. So it's kind of like a nice little, little jaunt for me at the end of the night. It's like, I'm going to go by and I'm going to see, I'm going to see the deer on this other night. Same, same individual says, Hey, you know, can you give me a ride home? I'm like, sure. You know, so go do the round, give him a ride home when I'm, I'm coming down and this time I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I go down. I'm going to go the route to go see the deer. Now, you had already dropped them off at this point, haven't you? I'd already dropped them off at this point, and I've actually gone a couple 
I'd gone a couple days without actually driving the route that I usually go to see the deer. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go this route. And I'm driving down and I, I get to this area where there's, there's a corner. Now, the thing about this is that these deer are coming into town. Like it's rural. Yes, there's forest all around it, but this is, you know, a neighborhood as much as there is a neighborhood out in this area. So you're not thinking, you know, oh, I'm, you know, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to see a deer. You're not thinking, oh, I'm going to see something very large. You know, you, you're, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to see something that's going to make me jump or be afraid or anything like that. You're just, you know, going about your business. Yeah. You're anticipating deer. You're expecting to see a deer. Exactly. And the other thing is, is that there's nobody else out at this time of night. Like, I don't know how to explain culture shock in a sense for me because like when i came out to this area i'm used to living in places like tacoma or seattle where it's like kind of like the city doesn't sleep and you're out in this area where it's kind of like the twilight zone where at least for someone like me where everybody's there's nobody out other than us who work this late shift in this in this area and so that being said i'm i'm pulling i'm pulling around this corner and First off, there was no deer. <laughs> um, what happened was I go around the corner that I usually have no issue with, and something very large runs in front of me. I almost hit it, and I am have so many different emotions going on when this happens because I'm, I'm angry. Because in my first thing, my first thought in my head is what's going on is that, you know, oh, is some tweakers just ran across in front of me. I almost hit them. And my hand instantly slid off my, my wheel to my horn. Now, the thing I have to, that has to be explained here is uh, my car that I drive, I drive, you know, it has some body damage in the front. And the body damage causes my headlight to aim out at an angle and upwards. Yeah, yeah. One of, uh, when I saw your car in person, one, you know, I think it was your right headlight was normal and your left one was kind of cockeyed. Yeah, and just kind of pointing upwards. Yeah, so this is painting the picture for you guys. Um, I'm now at an angle looking at the corner where I usually see a deer. And I had seen, I had sent you a picture where I usually see the deer at on this little kind of like embankment there at the, at the top. What I'm looking at, my head starts trying to explain and trying to tell me what I'm seeing. And my first reaction is I'm looking at a stump, even though I know there's not a stump there in this corner. Yeah. Now, now just, to, just to be clear, just to kind of paint the picture, um, you're driving down the road, you hang a left down this other road, and the, this is the corner area where all the deer are hanging out. Something runs in front of your car from your right to your left. Now, you, you, you turn a little bit and your, your car is stopped at this point, and in front of your hood is a stump, or so you think. Yes. Then as my, like, as I'm like focusing on, I'm realizing, and my, 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 my head's telling me, okay, you know, I've gone this route a ton of times before there's no stump here. And then I started to focus and I'm realizing what I'm looking at is a lot of, there's a lot of hair and then it starts to stand upright. At this point, my mind, everything is trying to you know, you're trying to put this into perspective. You're trying to make come up and tell yourself what it is that you're looking at. You're trying to make, you know, sense of things. Your brain's trying to connect it to, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, oh, it's this. I'm so close to this thing that 
Uh, we're looking at, I think, what, when we did when we did the distance, we walked, I think we were thinking it was about roughly like 12 feet. It was 12 feet, as near as we can figure. 12 feet. Because the thing was just a few feet in front of your hood. And of course, you were sitting in the car. So we, we measured it at 12 feet in the headlights. <laughs> yes. Oh my. Yeah. When this thing stands up, the, the first, you know, one of the things you try, you're trying to register in your head. So you, you go, you kind of hop over and you think, oh, ghillie suit, something like that. And very quickly, that is squashed for me because it turns around. To say that my life flashed before my eyes when this happens and just everything else um, is an understatement. But I also am a person who, like, of doing security and doing those things. Um, one thing about me is that I have a very, really, I have a very, very good memory for what I see. And everything slows down to like a halt for me. And that was the same thing in this instance. Everything slowed down. And I'm sitting there looking and realizing I'm looking at, I'm looking at Sasquatch. Like I'm looking at Bigfoot. This thing, it's massive. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, describe it to us in depth and maybe start at the top of the head and work your way down as best to your recollection. So the fur, for one, like I always thought dark fur and stuff like that. And what I was looking at, the hair was basically what I explained to you when I went into the center was that it multiple shades, like shades of earth tones, like browns and stuff. It was, it was all browns, but multiple shades to point that it was almost like a camouflage. Like it, you would, I could see, cause I mean, it was enough that when my eyes first saw it, the back of it, it tried to register it as a stump, you know, you're trying to think of and, and, but this thing had it looked like some of the hair was like, you know, bleached from the sun and things like that. But the head, it was not a lot of times you see drawings and you see these, this coned head or this pointed head. It wasn't so much like that. The head was, and, and the head wasn't as large as I would have expected for the rest of the body. The head was was a was a bit smaller, definitely humanoid in a, in in appearance, very pronounced brow ridge area. And one of the things I I did notice and I told you about it was the skin tone and the skin tone underneath the hair and on the facial and everything looked very similar to what and we came up when we talked about it was uh, in like you know older chimps and stuff like that with uh, vitiligo. Yeah, yeah, and for those people who aren't familiar with that, we've all seen pictures of very old chimpanzees that have a light sort of skin color that's very, very heavily mottled um, by by a various various splotches and marks and you know like liver marks and white patches. That's what he described the skin as, um, very, very lighter. And um, he, we mentioned vitiligo, which is that disease, of course, Michael Jackson has that removes the pigment from skin and the hair that grows out of it. Um, yeah, so he that that's what he's mentioning here. So that kind of older chimpanzee, light-colored, mottled skin, which, by the way, is exactly the skin tone that a good friend of mine uh, described in the Sasquatch that he observed down the White River um, a number of years ago. The the one thing that I told you also was about it was that the the jawline and everything, it like it, the, the the upper part of the of the head, like I said, was very human. More more human like than than I would have said ape, but the jawline that was where it looked more it it looked more apish. When this thing turns and looks at me, you're looking at like one one of the things the first things I notice is its eyes, and the the color of the eyes 
like and, and that I explained to you also was that it's different sh- shades of like a reddish amber. It's looking at me and it does this mo it, it kind of slouches down and then does this kind of like motion with its arms and then brings it swings its arms from the inside of its chest out to the outside of its of its body and it I don't know how to explain the sound other than saying it was like a bark or a howl. The only thing closest I've ever heard to anything like this is like a howler monkey. If you listen to a howler monkey in the morning, their morning calls, it was like that, only deeper and louder. And the end of it was like this higher, like a higher pitch tone to it. And I, I can't even, I can't emulate it for the life of me. Right after it did that, it, it took two breaths while it was looking at me and then um it motioned with its left arm and swung it out and was point not pointing but it's so its hands were kind of curled and this is where it's harder to explain in in voice voiceover versus visual but it swung its left arm out and was direct looked like it was basically directing down the street and it was holding its arm there now, from where I'm parked, just to give you a perspective of how long this arm is, its arm was to the center of my hood, and its hands were kind of not clenched in the fist, but everything, th- th- this is what adds to the the fear factor here, was that you're looking at something, and in your head, it's telling you animal, but you're looking at its eyes, you're looking at it just, the fact that it just made a gesture it's communicating knowing that something that large is able to look at you and and effectively direct me <laughs> to leave <laughs> um right when that happened i i put my i put my foot on the gas and i and i took off and as soon as i got around it i i called my dad instantly and that was roughly how we got the to point of time which was roughly uh, around 1.14 a.m. in the morning. I, I, I just instantly was, was crying. Like I, I couldn't, I had so m- many mixed emotions about what was going on. Cause like, you know, it's one thing to say you believe in something. It's another to show that it's completely true. It changes, it changes your, it changes your damn life. My dad basically does his best to try to call me down, even though he couldn't over the phone up until the point that my brother uh, my brother shows up and he gives off work. He's, he's my uh, lead. So he's usually there a little bit later at our job. And where does he find you? He finds me outside of my car. Cause I got out and I start walking over to him and I'm knocking on his window. And his first thing that he, he thinks my brother says when he sees me is he thinks that I just witnessed something horrible, like our coworker kill himself or something in front of me because he's never seen me this shook up. And then when I explain what I saw to him, my brother has the same reaction that my dad does. And then he's like, you got to get in the car. You got to get in the car, in the truck. Now I'm terrified. The last thing I want to do is go back to this location, (laughs) but brothers have a way of being able to talk each other into doing things. And we went back and retraced the steps and everything to try to see if we could see if anything was around. Nothing was other than a lingering smell. Now, what did it smell like? When you would first smell it, you would you would initially, if you're not knowing what you're looking for, you would think skunk. 
but it's like a skunk has a has a tendency to if it if you smell a skunk it means that they sprayed and it's going to stay in one location it doesn't move and it burns it burns your nostrils this doesn't burn your nostrils it's a lighter skunk smell but there's this underlying hint of like kind of rot or uh decaying it's a very unique smell and it doesn't it's not and i'm not saying that it doesn't get strong when you're near it because when we were over there it was super strong now of course that smell will come back into play in a little while here but i think bobo you had a couple questions didn't you yeah so when it was crossing the road you said like what was it about the arm went halfway across your hood when it was directing out from the from where I was at an angle looking at it, when it outstretched its arm from where it was standing, if you were to like look where its hand was, its hand would have been lengthwise across the uh, hood of my car. Like not not it wasn't actually across the hood of my car, but it was where I have on my on the hood of my car. I have a in the center of it. I have a Decepticon logo. And its hand was would have been out out in front of it, but directly centered to that that logo. Yeah, it's it's, it's a little confusing. And you know, I I did have the advantage of um, meeting you face to face, and not only in the shop but at the location. Uh, let let me just clarify or add my two cents for the hand movements because I, I got to see you do it. Um, and and what we're talking about is really hard to put into uh, our listeners' heads. I think um, the, first of all, when it was standing there and it was turned around and looked at you, you said that it did a hand motion and then um, and then basically yelled at you or made some vocalization. Yes, yes. Now, mind you, he, it was standing to the left side of his car, and that's the cockeyed um, uh, headlight. Right. And then, how did it compare to Murphy in size? When I saw Murphy, the first thing I, when I when I told Cliff, I go. Everything proportion-wise, the arm, the the when I was explaining the thickness of the arms, everything, every it was that it was that, except for the face, the head, the head on Murphy, uh, was too large in comparison to what what I saw, um, a more humanoid face versus ape, um, or human-like face, more more or, I guess would be. I'd say closer to more like a Neanderthal looking face. Murphy in in, in size, it, it was taller than Murphy, but that was like see, seeing seeing that it it was shocking because everything I was explaining, and then I walked back there and I see it, it it was like it was standing in front of me again. You, whoever you guys had do the sculpt and everything on that thing, it, it, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, we got a Bigfooter to do it. Got him, uh, Bo Bruns at Unit Seventy Studios out in Columbus, Ohio. Fantastic artist. The muscle, the, like, because I one of the things I was explaining was this: like, you could see the the, the thing that got me was how massive this thing is, and seeing the muscle, and you could see the muscle through the hair. Like, it wasn't like it's, you know, you get the people you talk about like it's like wearing a fur suit or anything. No, you could see how dense the muscle was on this thing. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So uh, how, did, how has this changed your life since? Initially, when I went in to talk to you, I still was very was hesitant and, hard, and like trying to figure out what I was going to do. I wanted to help. I wanted to talk with you guys. I wanted to be able to show you guys where it, everything went on and whatnot. But having... A brother 
who's an enthusiast and having a father that's a very that's an enthusiast uh and witness that i would have to say there was quite a bit of peer pressure but i uh it's uh, now a routine. We have a routine that my brother and I do when we get off work because we happen to be in an area where it's a hot zone. I want to be able to prove its existence. I want to be able to find out. With I want to be able to show the world that this thing exists and hopefully, if, if, if anything, be able to protect its environment. And to those ends, what are you doing? Every night. When we get off work, we have rounds that we go, and we've actually gone in places that there's a couple times because the areas we've gone up to, um, we're like, we don't have enough equipment for this right now for us to be safe for us to be doing, so we have to go back. But we we're wonder we have all these different ideas and different things, you know, trying to we're trying to figure out. But we go we go out and look for it and try to find areas where potentially we think uh, Bigfoot is out there. Well, now, um, I had the opportunity to go out to the site. Connor and I went, uh, made a trip out there with you, with the witness, to the exact location where this happened. And it really helped put together a lot of the things that I was hearing. You know, because it's never the same, and I, Bobo can attest to this, it's never the same hearing a story as opposed to going to a place and hearing the story there where you can point to, it came from there, this is where the, the, the crouched down, this is where the deer are, that whole thing. And it really opened up the story to me dramatically. Um, so when we were at the site, first of all, it wasn't just a 90 degree turn to the left. It was more than a 90 degree turn. I mean, it was, you know, it was like about a 900 degree turn or something like that. So it's more than just a left-hand turn into this location. So you wouldn't have been watching necessarily down the road. And where the thing ran from was basically a patch of brush, um, in the sky's lawn, in the, in the, the neighbor's lawn across the street over to the ditch area. The thing ran in front of Jeremy's car, and then you remember he thought he saw a a a, uh, a stump. Well, the thing was actually crouching down in a small drainage ditch on the side of the road, underneath this uh, small hill that led up to the property there, where these deer often hang out. And and there was a sign there that was about four four and a half feet tall. And Jeremy never noticed the sign because the thing crouching down was taller than the sign itself. We put Connor in the same location and, you know, Connor's taller than I am. He's like six feet tall. So he raised his hands up and uh, Jeremy placed this thing at about eight feet tall. Um, Connor was standing inside the ditch at the time. So that it might've been eight and a half, might've been eight, might've been somewhere around there. Remember, uh, Jeremy was sitting down at the time, although he did get a good look at it, but he was obviously frightened. So that tends to exaggerate sizes a bit. Now, I, I also got to observe Jeremy making the same hand motions that the creature made as well. And I want to describe that real fast. Before it vocalized, or I guess while it vocalized, um, you know how Superman kind of grabs the middle of his his shirt and pulls it apart, revealing the S kind of, um, it was kind of like that, but the hands actually crossed each other and was, it was lowered in the abdomen area and then kind of pulled open and vocalized at the same time. Um, so it was kind of a dramatic way to see something like that vocalize. And I'd like to, it made me think I need to collect more data on people who have observed Sasquatch vocalizing to see if they had any hand motions associated with it. Did with both hands it did that? Yeah, with both hands. But it, but in this case, it didn't, you know, like Superman hands would like meet in the middle and then pull it apart. But this thing, um, it, it crossed it. Like maybe they imagine crossing um, the arms at the wrist and then pulling backwards like that. 
Yeah, and it was also lower. He he directed that the hands cross in the abdomen area, not the chest like Superman. So that's the difference there. And that and that's when the thing vocalized. And then finally, that other hand motion I found so interesting um, was when, you know, after it yelled at you and you're just, you know, sitting there in, in your own waist probably at this point, you know, who knows? You're just sitting there observing the Sasquatch and after it yelled at you, um, all it basically did was lift, it lifted its left arm outwards, kind of, almost like it was kind of pointing down the road and maybe it was, but it didn't point with its fingers. It, you said that the fingers were just kind of hanging loosely and, um, and you, you commented about the hair draping down from underneath the forearm about six inches long. But one of the things you said to me that, and, and again, you're not a Bigfooter. I mean, I mean your dad was a, a witness, but you're not a Bigfooter proper, you know? So you don't know anything about the hand structures, what I'm assuming. And what you told me was so compelling because you said that the fingers were hanging kind of loosely and the thumb was hanging down loosely next to it in a weird position, kind of straight down. Because when I imitated it, I said, yeah, you see how your thumb goes forward? Its thumb didn't go forward. It was draping straight down like the other fingers, which is exactly what we know about Sasquatch hand morphology based on the Sasquatch handprints. Um, it was a very, very compelling moment for me. It's like, this guy doesn't know that. Uh, this guy's telling the truth. Absolutely. I mean, let alone the, the, the goosebumps and the tears and everything else that I saw that day when you shared your story with me. Um, those small details are just fascinating for me, people like us actually to listen to. So when we were at the investigation site, checking around and whatever else, um, there were the, the, uh, the, one of the neighbors had a bunch of yippy dogs. You know, like bah, 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 they're barking at us because there's people walking around in the street. And this is a, a rural area, so not a lot of people are around there. And, you know, I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to go talk to this guy. Just number one, to apologize about us being here and the dogs. And maybe I can learn something, you know. So I went up and like the guy was in his yard and kind of like kind of looking like, what are these guys doing? And, you know, I would do the same thing. I live in the rural area. I would be doing exactly what he was doing. So I went up to him and said, hey, hey, my name's Cliff. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry about your dogs, dude. And I'm sorry that they're yipping and yapping and stuff like that. I apologize. Um, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. No big deal. Yeah. And I kind of pointed over to Jeremy, who was uh, talking to Connor at the time. And I said, yeah, um, um, a gentleman over there reported seeing a Sasquatch cross the road here recently. Um, and, and the guy laughed at me, of course, like, oh, my, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, oh, Bigfoot, that's nonsense. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I'm used to that. So I go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But that, that's what he says. And he seems to be very, very believable. And um, I'm thinking he probably did see something. Um, have you been hearing anything at night? That, that might be unusual. And he goes, no, no, no. Haven't been hearing anything at night. No, except for my, you know, my neighbor yelling sometimes. And we're like, what do you mean? So yeah, my, my neighbor across the street, and he pointed to the place where the Sasquatch was. And there's a house behind the house in the corner, you know, another, you know, hundred yards back or something. He goes, yeah, that, that guy goes out sometimes and yells on his, in his lawn in the middle of the night. Uh, and I go, really? What, what is that about? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. He just, I, I, and I said, you've seen him do it. Um, you've heard him and seen him do it. And he goes, oh, I hear him quite often or you know, occasionally, but I've only seen him do it once. You know, I heard the yell and I looked out and he was on the lawn. And I go, oh, that's odd. Huh. And, I, and the guy laughs or whatever. He goes, yeah, I'm a Bigfoot. And um, he asked me, when did this happen? When did the, the road sighting happen? And I said, oh, you know, about a week and a half ago. And um, he goes, oh, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Then he kind of trails off and his face changes a bit. And I think, oh, I think we got something. So I said, I think you want to tell me something, don't you? And he goes, well, what day was it? And I said, it was the 14th of April. He goes, the four that was Thursday. You know, 
yeah, that was around the time that my wife and I were smelling that smell. I went, really? What, what do you, yeah, tell me more. And basically his wife likes to sleep with the window cracked, you know, get some air moving in there. Um, and around that time, he said that there was a really bad smell that kept popping around. And so describe it for me. And his description was, it's kind of like a skunk, but combine that with burnt coffee grounds. And that was kind of what it was. It wasn't pleasant, but that's what I kept smelling. I go, Really? And so that's exactly, or pretty much, what he described, then pointing over to Jeremy, the witness. Yeah, he described that same sort of smell. And then the guy goes, do you think that could have been the same thing? Well, that's what he described. And so obviously that guy's cage got a little rattled at that point. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. And And then he said this, I wonder if that is my neighbor yelling. Because behind that house, over where his neighbor lives, he says that's where the elk always, the deer always are hanging around on this guy's lawn. But the elk are are uh, bedding down behind these houses in the the thicker areas, like next to the river area, like the creek that flows through there. Or um, that's what he said, at least. So, anyway, very interesting stuff um, occurred at the site. Oh, and I didn't even mention this. As Connor and um, Jeremy are speaking, I'm walking around looking at the uh, the embankment that goes up from the road. You know, there's the road, then there's a little drainage ditch, and there's an embankment. I'm I'm walking a few hundred yards in every direction, not not trespassing, by the way. I'm always staying on property, you know, the road and whatever else. Um, and at one point, I see in the ground a possible footprint. You know, and I go, what is this? And I, I get up close to it, and it was on about a, a 45 degree slope, I suppose, and it was kind of going across that 45 degrees. So not directly up, but kind of across that 45 degrees. Um, and there was an impression where, where I saw four clearly visible toes, um, a, a planter surface area, you know, like the front part of a foot. And then there was a raised mound of dirt right behind that area. And I go, oh my God, that's the mid tarsal break. That's the plantar surface of underneath the metatarsals. And here are four of the five toes visible in the ground. Um, it appeared to be a right hand or a right foot um, going up the slope and I looked further and there were some flat marks. I looked behind it. I didn't find anything, but it would have been cement at that point. Um, and so we, we cast it basically, we cast a footprint. This footprint was headed towards the house, um, where Jeremy saw this thing, you know, in the, in, uh, on, on the embankment right below the lawn area next to the road, it was headed towards that direction, but that's not where Jeremy said it ran, which tells me that this thing is probably going back there for the deer more often than at least that one night. In fact, it might just be on the regular, you know, the circuit, shall we say, where this thing pops by, comes out of the creek in that area and pops by to see if anything's going on. I've since cleaned off the cast. It's very good. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's not like a Hereford cast or something that's crystal clear, but for a tracker and someone who's really interested in footprint impressions, it's very informative and very cool. So um, we got some really interesting evidence out of this spot. His story checks out exactly the way he told it. And this is an area that, that deserves further attention. And luckily, Jeremy and his brother are driving around at night, checking this area out after work, at least a couple of times a week. We're working on that. That is all stuff that we're we're working on trying to uh, get. My dad just ordered uh, ordered a night vision uh, camera so we can get out there and get collect some actually uh, better material for you guys to help to help work with you guys on trying to locate this thing. But you know, I imagine if you just had a hundred dollar dash cam, can you imagine the footage you would have? It would be astounding. I actually am getting a dash cam. Yeah, dash cams are a must have. 
and again, for all Bigfooters out there, all Bigfooters should have a dash cam. Almost half of sightings happen on roads, very similar to what Jeremy uh, encountered. And any one of you, if you a Sasquatch ran in front of the car, you would have Sasquatch footage just for having a hundred dollar gadget and you know pointing forward in your vehicle. It's such an easy, low hanging fruit to obtain, you know. So, Jeremy, I love that you're going around at night after work because, as you noted, nobody's really out in this area after like 10 o'clock. The roads are pretty vacant, right? And you are in a prime position getting off so late, driving through these rural areas to see that that Sasquatch or perhaps uh, another one any night. It could happen at any time. So you are in a great location, and I so appreciate you being in communication with me because we need I, I need an army of people just like you in, in fruitful areas um, driving the roads. And it's going to happen again at some point to somebody. So hopefully it's you with a dash cam, and we'll proceed forward. And I guess if you get anything else, you know, we'll bring you back on to see what else you have. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. That was interesting, man. You had a great up-close sighting. You're a lucky dude. Starting to finally feel that way. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, you take it easy, man. All right, Jeremy, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, hopefully when you get some more information or news, you can come back and join us. Tell us you got a good dash cam video or something. All right, Bobo. So yeah, man, that was the most recent witness I, that's come in here. And really, um, I mean, he's a little understated. I, mean, he, I, I think that he was kind of breathing slow and stuff. In the shop, he did take those long pauses and stuff, but that's because he's gathering his thoughts and breath. Um, this was a very moving, emotional experience for Jeremy. And, and the dude's six foot three inches tall, former security guard. When I turned around and saw his eyes welling up, you know, I'm thinking, oh man, I, I felt bad for him. But at the same time, I'm thinking, I'm, I don't feel bad for this guy. He got a really good look at a Sasquatch. I'm jealous. He doesn't know how lucky he is. Yeah. There's all kinds of, there's, you know, there's, all of us have things like that in our lives where it's really a blessing that we don't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one of them. We got a cast out of it too. A really interesting, cool cast. I can't wait to see that thing. Oh yeah, it's pretty neat, man. It's pretty neat. I, I cleaned it off enough to see the toes, and uh, we captured the mid tarsal uh, mid tarsal pressure ridge, and the t- and we got four uh, clear toes. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, and it's just as sloppy as I would expect it to be, considering the flexibility and malleability of the Sasquatch foot on the angle of slope that it was running up. It's just the way it should be. It's pretty amazing. All right, folks, that's another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hit like, hit subscribe, and hit the share button, and turn your friends on to one of the best podcasts on Bigfoot out there. And? Oh, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 